1: This is a CBC Podcast.
2: So I can feel it. I can feel that the holidays are getting closer and I can hardly wait. And Rachel, have you got any plans? I do. Yeah, I'm really lucky. I'll be seeing lots of family and friends over the next few weeks. How about you? Yeah, same thing. Um, Lots of time with family, Christmas dinner, visits, that sort of thing. And getting out into nature with my pup. And before we get too far into things, I'm Laura Lynch, and this is What on Earth, where we bring you a world of climate solutions, including some right now from our story producer, Rachel Sanders. Here you go, Rachel.
3: Yes, Laura. So let's talk about climate solutions and the holidays. How much does climate figure in for you when you're getting ready for the season?
2: Yeah, it's changed over the last few years as I've learned more and more. So I'm I'm no longer giving physical gifts unless it's something that I've made, which is most often for me cooking, baking. And I give lots of that away to to friends and family. Um, I try to give experiences, time spent with uh, other relatives as well. Those things are really important, Um, but I will probably give one little gift to
3: my dog, Mickey. (laughs) Ah, he deserves it. Yeah, I like to buy edible gifts as well or useful things like locally made soap. And uh, my family wraps presents in reusable bags made of Christmas-themed fabric, so no wrapping paper. That is a great idea. I'd never heard of that before. I'm going to look into that too. Yeah, it's great. But there is one other important kind of climate action I would like to get better at over the holidays this year. And what's that? That is talking about climate change.
2: But you talk about it all the time. At work, I do. (laughs) At work, yes. Well, it is one thing that we've heard from guests on our show that talking about climate change is one of the most important actions you can take.
3: Exactly, yeah. But conversations about climate change can sometimes be a real party killer. I don't know about you, but in social situations, talking about my job, people are often like, oh, you work on a show about climate change? Bummer. But we're all about solutions. I know. That's what I always say. But I do think that I could get better at talking to people about the progress that's happening and what they can do in their own lives to help. So I wanted to get some advice on communication. And we're going to start by hearing from someone who who doesn't just talk to people who think climate change is a bummer. Some of them think climate change isn't real. Oh boy, this sounds interesting. Let's hear what you found out. Okay, here we go. If you're concerned about climate change, why not talk about it? Research has shown that talking about climate can increase support for climate action, but finding the right words isn't always easy. Tegan Walsh knows all about that. She's 16 years old and lives in the small town of Qualicum Beach on Vancouver Island, BC. Two years ago, she and a friend joined the School Strike for Climate movement. They spent Fridays protesting outside their town hall. Tegan soon found that school climate strikes meant a lot of talking.
0: Originally, we started because we wanted to create a sense of pressure for our governments to take action. But it ended up shifting a lot to having conversations because we were sitting there for six and a half hours every Friday. So a lot of people would come talk to us.
3: And those conversations were not always friendly.
0: There were a lot of people who were angry with the prospect of taking climate action. Sometimes people were afraid that they wouldn't be able to afford the carbon tax or afraid that renewable energy was unreliable that the science of climate change is unreliable. But then there were more extreme examples, like people would tell us we have been brainwashed, it's a scam, we're wrong, we should get a job, that we've been told how to think that we should go back to school.
3: It takes courage to keep talking to someone who's saying things like that. But Tegan felt it was important to keep trying.
0: When we don't talk about it, people are just kind of in their own, echo chambers of opinions. And that can be really dangerous if we can't talk about things that we disagree about.
3: (laughs) (laughs) (pause) Zhang (laughs) Zhao (laughs) agrees. There is actually a
4: low level of climate literacy in North America. I think that's one key barrier to action. So I think there's an opportunity to maybe tell people what are the most effective things to do to reduce emissions and to adapt to climate change.
3: She's an assistant professor of psychology and sustainability at the University of British Columbia. She has some suggestions for what does work. But first, there are a few approaches she says are not productive.
4: Climate change is a polarized topic in North America. So if I don't think climate change is caused by human behavior, climate change is not happening, then obviously I'm not going to do anything about it. So if I use facts and evidence to convince you, that's going to backfire.
3: So reciting facts to a climate skeptic won't do the trick. And she says neither will getting angry about it. And if you're talking to someone who does believe that climate change is a problem, but isn't sure what to do about it, there is a third pitfall to avoid shaming and guilt tripping.
4: We're often told, you know, you can't do that. You can't fly or drive. You can't eat meat. You can't shop because it harms the planet. That makes us feel shameful and guilty. And that makes us even further retreat and disengage. And if anything, can lead to a fight between friends and family.
3: Let's review. Don't attack with facts, don't alienate with anger, and don't shame or guilt. Instead,
4: When I talk to people about climate change, I actually don't mention climate change at all. I start with, what makes you happy? What makes you feel good? And then they will tell me, oh, well, yeah, They'll spend time with friends and family, going out with people. Or just like, sometimes people say, well, I just love to stay home by myself and read and watch TV or whatever. I'm like, that's great. Let's start with that. So how can you do more of that while reducing emissions, right?
3: She has a name for this approach. We actually call this a happy climate approach, where we're
4: calling for actions that not only reduce emissions, but also increase happiness.
3: For example, instead of talking about the need to drive less, start by talking about the social or health benefits of the alternatives.
4: You say, oh, why don't we start carpooling? Why don't we start a biking group?" or something that we can do together. Ultimately, you want to aim for behavior change down the line, but that can start with a conversation.
3: 16-year-old climate activist Teagan Walsh has some tips for how to start those conversations.
0: Letting go of the talking points, asking questions, being honest about why we're concerned about the state of the planet, and articulating the connection between the fact that both of us are concerned or afraid, instead of yelling back, or laughing or just refusing to engage. It was kind of
3: like an invitation for dialogue, is what we found. So start with happiness, take time to listen, and another thing Tegan suggests is to tell a story.
0: It's best if it's something about you or someone close to you and some way that you're affected by the issue in your own life. For example, I biked to school with one of my really good friends and at the end of last year... It was so smoky out that she couldn't bike with me because she has really bad asthma. It was scary because she couldn't go outside and bike to school and it disrupted her everyday life.
3: Using these techniques, Tegan not only has those sometimes difficult talks, she actually enjoys them.
0: I felt really lucky to be able to have those conversations because they're strangers and have an opportunity to talk to them about something and maybe plant a seed and not necessarily change their mind but still have a good conversation.
3: She likes it so much, she's actually taking a course on how to talk about polarizing issues so she can take those conversations door-to-door, canvassing with her fellow climate activists. For What on Earth? I'm Rachel Sanders.
2: Thanks, Rachel. I really like what Tegan was saying about including stories, personal stories, when you're having these kinds of conversations, because they're the kinds of things that people really will pay attention to. And it's very familiar because it's kind of what we do on this show. We try to bring you personal stories about what people are trying to do about climate. And in that way, it p- makes people feel it's resonant for them. It's something that they want to pay attention to. So that is just such a good idea. But the idea of going door to door (laughs) and talking to strangers, yeah, I would find that a little intimidating. But then again, there are other ways to get the climate conversation going. Um, We we have What on Earth listeners, Stuart Wells, reach out to tell us about two friends who go about that task in their own way. And they are Glenn and Shannon Wright.
1: They have basically dedicated the rest of their lives to trying to make things better climate-wise for their kids and grandkids and, and the planet.
2: Shannon Wright is a web designer and climate advocate. Her partner, Glenn Wright, is a farmer, a lawyer, and he works with the National Farmers Union as a vice president of policy. And they join me now from their farm near Vanscoy, west of Saskatoon. So word on the street is that every year around this time, you guys send out a special letter to friends and family. How long have you been doing that for?
1: Well, I think it started before 2017, but in 2017 was when we made the conscious decision to start talking specifically about climate change and uh, the things that people could do I guess as a conversation starter, but it's kind of sharing our experiences with what we've done to decarbonize our life. And we put that into our Christmas letter, just sharing our experience with folks.
2: Hey, Shannon, maybe you can give us a couple of examples. What kind of things do you include?
5: Uh, yeah, so I find when we're writing our letter, we kind of look back through our pictures from the previous year, you know, just the year past to see what we've been up to. And um, so in previous letters, we've talked about our, uh, our house renovations, our insulating our home, Um, putting up solar panels, driving EVs. Um, Yeah, so
2: maybe some of the trips we've taken in our electric vehicles. So, Shannon, what inspired you to to focus the the holiday letter on climate every single year? Well, so I don't know
5: that it was that we, uh, that that was our goal or our intention. I just think it's that naturally, as we look back, those were the things that we were doing. We were going to climate rallies, or we were, you know, just doing more of these things that that sort of focused on climate change and and
2: climate action. um, So that sort of um, naturally became the focus of our letters, because that was just what we've been doing. And so it wasn't about trying to get a conversation going with other people about climate? Or was that partly sort of in there somewhere?
5: I mean, I think, sure, that's our intention is to sort of you know, have some of these difficult conversations and it just didn't feel right for us to just sort of be, you know, saying Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, that it was more about uh, we, this, this urgent need to feel like we need to do something and um, make a difference. And so that's where we hope to lead by example.
2: I'm curious, what's the reaction been like since you started this focus on, on adding climate into your annual update? Um, well, I'll say some people have asked to be removed from
5: our list because oh, <laughs> they don't no. take kindly to some of the,
2: you know, and, and it's okay, fair
5: enough. Um, I, I guess it's that some people, um, I, I don't know, I guess maybe they take an offense to it or think that, you know, that maybe they're not doing enough, but that's not our intention at all. It's more just to,
2: you know, talk about what we're doing and, and hopefully inspire change. And Glenn, what what other kind of reaction have you had aside from those who just don't want to hear about it?
1: Well, I mean, we've had some family members um, suggest to us that we're on a pedestal somehow and that, that they could never do what we do. and and, um, and I guess reflecting back on one of the questions you asked Shannon earlier is for me, I did want to start talking about this in our letters because it was obvious to me that nothing that we could do, even if we became the perfect people, our actions alone aren't going to be enough. And so for me, I wanted to add this into our Christmas letters because we need collective action. And so I thought by reaching out to my friends and family, To share our experience and hopefully they can learn from some of our mistakes but also to inspire them to do more so it's it's tough for me to take sometimes when some of my friends and family accuse me of of being on a pedestal or doing something that they could never do because i think everybody can do something um and that's what really we want to try and start these conversations and get people to think about
2: but has your letter inspired any friends and family to to also take some climate action
1: Oh, absolutely. I I mean, we were just talking my wife and I the other day over supper about how many people we think we've helped um inspire to to buy an electric vehicle. And we're approaching about 30 people now. And I know that we've um sort of accelerated some people to put solar on their roofs. Um the energy retrofit on homes is a much usually a bigger initiative, but certainly, you know, people have come by and seen what we've done and then thought long and hard about, you know, their windows or their doors or um, you know, we've been early adopters and so I would say a lot of the things we've done, we haven't we haven't always had success. So I, I mean, we've been doing this work since 2008 when we first turned off our natural gas to our home. And so we at that time, we decided we wanted to decarbonize. And so we installed uh, renewable energy at that time. It was small scale wind because solar was still very expensive. And, and those wind turbines, for example, they were a failure. And so we have tried to be transparent with people about things that haven't been successful. Um, and I, I would hope that that then you know makes people think that we're not on a pedestal. We're we're just like any, every other fallible human, but we are committed to doing everything we can to decarbonize, and and we do everything with the mind that we want to have every action we can take to be part of the net zero transition.
2: So so Shannon, we're only a few days away from Christmas. Christmas. How's the letter shaping up for this year? <laughs> Well, I will
5: say that, uh, your contacting us has inspired us to sort of look at it.
2: Um, <laughs> we're pretty busy. And so
5: it it's sort of fallen off, you know, the plate of things to do, but, uh, yeah. So it, 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 this interview has inspired me to look through our pictures. And so I will say it's in progress and uh,
2: it'll be out probably in a week or so. Okay. So what, what, what's going to be, give me some idea of what's going to be in it, aside from the fact that you did an interview with with uh, What on Earth?
6: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. So, I mean, like I was
5: saying before, we typically look through our photos. And so, of course, we always sort of lead with our kids and what they've been up to. And and some of the other things that uh, we've been up to, so we did make a trip to Ottawa to uh, the National Farmers Convention uh, and, and to rally um, there and lobby for change for policy for farmers. Um, yeah, and just sort of growing some of our food and some of our crop things that we're seeing through climate lens. We did go to a lot of different rallies and we've been engaged in uh, the SAS Power's climate future, thinking about what our energy will look like into the next you know
2: 15 years and what what is one thing about climate that you're planning to do in in the new year
5: well i will say for me it's it's just about having these difficult conversations it, it takes courage to speak out and and maybe question people on on facts and um where they're getting their information from and so it it's just difficult to have some of those conversations and so by putting that in our letter um i do find it brings up some of those conversations around the christmas table and You know, and next time you see somebody else, oh, yeah, I read your letter and I was inspired by something you said. Can we talk about that more? So it's just about having these difficult conversations.
2: Okay. well, here's your chance to um, give some inspiration directly through the radio waves here. This is for both of you. What's your best advice for people looking to make one change this holiday towards a more climate friendly future? Glenn, let's start with you.
1: Well, I think the most important thing we need to do is is talk about things and have an open mind. And I, I would I guess wanna build on what Jen was talking about earlier there. She's a little bit too modest in what she talks about. She she's also been challenging uh SAS power with respect to her their billing. Uh the billing about um characterizing the pollution prices as a carbon tax on the bill. So you don't have to have money to do something. You don't necessarily have to have a house or buy an electric car. There's all kinds of ways we can do things to try and focus on accelerating the transition to sustainability. So Shan's been doing a great job, committed and engaged with SAS Power in this whole public consultation process. And for myself, um, I mean, I went to law school and became a lawyer so that I could pursue strategic climate litigation. So for me, in the coming year, I'm moving ahead. I'm still planning on pursuing in this action against SAS Power and the government of Saskatchewan, we're trying to find out if building natural gas generation, which is going to run for many, many decades, whether that violates our charter rights to life and security of persons. So you don't necessarily have to do something big, but the important thing to realize here is that everybody's got to do something. And I think it starts by talking and then realizing what is within your ability to, to do. So please be inspired to do that.
2: Okay, Shannon, your turn. Wow, that's uh, a lot to follow up
5: on. I would say for me, you know, I'd say ditto to that, but also that uh, there's a lot of expectations and pressure put on people uh, over the holidays. And just, yeah, so I would say it's about being true to yourself, being real, and uh, taking the courage to to maybe be different or to speak up, um, you know, and, and try something new or, you know, follow some inspiration to make a difference
2: and just know that as one person you can make a difference, right? Shannon and Glenn Wright, thank you for speaking with me and happy holidays. You yes, well. Happy Thanks holidays so to you, Laura. Okay, so we've heard about in-person conversations you have with your neighbours. We've heard about climate Christmas letters you send to your friends and your family. But what about climate advice that can fit in your back pocket? On Earth listener Sally Armour-Woden from Toronto recently got in touch with us. She's part of a climate crisis support group and they meet every other week to share ideas about tackling the climate crisis. Last summer during the wildfires one of them came up with an idea. It seemed everyone and she means everyone was talking about climate but no one knew what to do. So they set out on a mission to create something anyone could use during times of emergency. The result? an eight-page zine, self-published, of course. She says the Climate Support Group is, quote, making copies to hand out to anyone who's concerned about climate change but doesn't know what to do. I have even included one in my Christmas card mailing, and it folds up and fits in your back pocket. Sally says the zine covers everything from how to pack a go bag to supporting your neighbours during a crisis. And we'll be right back. Paper
7: or plastic? Oh, I forgot my own bags. Um, plastic. No, wait, paper. Hang on, which one's better? I don't know. Don't stress, Neil. The podcast Living Planet is here to help. We know you want to do what's right for the planet, but you're busy and you have to make a thousand small decisions every day. So we endeavor to answer what's better. Cotton or polyester? Tea or coffee? For answers to these environmental conundrums and your questions, subscribe to Living Planet wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: So, I've been wondering, obviously, because this is a climate change show, you think that Santa still puts coal in the stockings of children who just haven't been very good?
7: I hope not. (laughs) I
2: wonder what else he could put in instead. Oh, well, we've got other things to think about as the festivities continue here at What on Earth?
7: That's right, Laura.
2: What on Earth? Danielle Piper joins me in the studio. Hello, Danielle.
7: Hi, Laura. So last week, we heard from early childhood educator Nikki Martin. She shared some ideas on how to rethink gift-giving for kids to be more sustainable, but also more meaningful. And we heard from listeners after that. Yes, we did. Jane Farkason from Rustico, Prince Edward Island, reached out to us to tell us about a new holiday tradition that she and her family will be introducing this year.
2: Tell me more.
7: I called her for a quick chat about what she's been up to to keep her holidays more sustainable. So instead
6: of gifts... We bought some large jars and designed a really funky logo to go on them that says uh, gift-giving jar, paying it forward. And the concept is that my family members would, over the course of 365 days, throw some change in the jar every day, and that their children and my nieces and nephews, great nieces and nephews would, would participate so they put the jars in the in the homes of all the different extended
7: family members and, and they collect the money. What do they do with the money? Good question. So that's really up to the winning family. So here's how it goes. There are eight families. Each family gets their name put in a hat. A family is selected and they will choose that year's charity. The following year, seven names are placed in the hat and the next name is drawn. And so on, and so on.
2: And then that charity gets all the money that's been collected by all the families over the course of the year. That's that's kind of an interesting approach. What inspired Jane to think of it?
7: Well, you see, Jane's very passionate about the environment and climate change. She says she's always looking for new things to try, but hasn't
6: always been successful. We've been trying to change up the Christmas giving for probably a decade now. So we've tried a number of other things, and although. I think family members appreciated the efforts. It didn't stick. So what we're hoping this year is that family members will see this as a a kind of an action-oriented thing that you do on a daily basis or every second day. So it's, it's kind of more kinesthetic learning and that the kids will really get into it. And because of that, it will have more significance and meaning for each of the eight families.
2: So it is just change. Is, is there a specific amount of money that they're trying to,
7: I guess, raise together? Mm, not really. I mean, at the end of the day, it's not about the amount. Jane's just looking to encourage people to focus less on consumerism.
6: The children would learn about sustainable gift giving. And the parents, it is possible to teach old dogs new tricks. The parents would also learn that their children don't need um mega gifts under the tree to really appreciate the the true sentiment of Christmas. That all sounds
2: great. How's the family reacting to the to the new tradition?
6: Mm, You want to know a secret? (laughs) What? She hasn't told them yet. We haven't given them the full scope. I think it's more important to be spontaneous and surprise them with this and so no one actually knows that we're doing it. (laughs) So we'll see how it goes. I'll have to report back.
2: Okay, I guess the secret's out now. Good luck to you, Jane. I hope to hear from you next year for an update.
7: Oh, um, Laura, I do have one more thing to share from another listener who reached out by email. Brett Hammerlindel from Edmonton, Alberta wrote, Please give your children unconditional love and the tools to live a sustainable lifestyle when older. With respect to gifts, give an amount to them that reinforces that you value them without ignoring sustainability. Lavish your love on them with other love languages. Things like words of affirmation, one-on-one time, hugs, and smiles. Also accept that you will make mistakes. I did, and so did everyone else I know. That is really good advice. Thanks, Brett. And
2: Danielle, thank you for sharing. No problem. remember you can listen to all of our episodes on demand at cbc listen apple podcasts spotify or wherever you get your podcasts we drop two new podcasts every week and while you're there leave us a review we want to know what you think and even better if you want to start a climate conversation maybe do it by telling a friend about us and you can both listen and you can both have a conversation isn't that perfect that is all for now the show was put together by danielle piper vivian luck Rachel Sanders, Matthias Wolfson and Molly Siegel. I'm Laura Lynch. Thank you for listening.
1: For more CBC podcasts, go to
7: cbc.ca/podcasts.